Hi, podcast listeners. Claire and Dan Shirley here, owners and operators of Sawbill Canoe Outfitters. We're located up north of Tofty on the Sawbill Lake entry point. So a lot has happened since we last sponsored an episode. We made it safely through our second season of a pandemic and managed to escape the fires last August. It's been a wild couple of years here at Sawbill. For sure. The good news is those fires that were so worrisome to us last season, they didn't end up burning any lakes or travel routes in the Sawbill area. We've also had a huge amount of snow this winter, like over 130 inches and counting. So the drought conditions have been eased up quite a bit too. All in all, our area is super lucky to once again have avoided the worst of the disasters almost completely. We are so looking forward to the lakes opening up and connecting people with the wilderness again. It's worth mentioning that if you haven't booked a permit for the Boundary Waters yet, it's not too late. There's been a lot of discussion about the availability of permits this year. Rest assured though, there are permits to be had. If your first choice isn't available, give us a call. We love talking with people about what kind of BWCA trip they're hoping for, and we'll work with you to find an appropriate entry point and route that maybe wasn't on your radar. We've got some handy suggested routes detailed on our website too, sawbill.com, under the trip planning section. Another sign of spring up here is the arrival of our summer crew. We are happy to report that we have a full crew this summer again, and we'll be up and running as usual with a full range of services. One of the time-honored tasks for the spring crew here is to measure the lake ice out on Sawbill. We've already started, but soon we'll be measuring it on a daily basis during the countdown to paddling season. If you want to follow along, we'll be posting updates to our blog at sawbill.com, as well as Facebook and Instagram. All right, let's get back to the podcast. Enjoy the episode. This is the WTIP Boundary Waters Podcast. This is the wilderness that Dave and I were both introduced to as kids. You know, our first wilderness camping experience were in the Boundary Waters. And in summer, you wake up, you swim through the lake, you have breakfast, then you can relax, you can go paddling, you can go hiking. We've done this trip before to Horseshoe Lake, and I remember catching walleye there before. I went on a canoe trip in the Boundary Waters. And it's, it was really cool, it was my first time. The route from Ram Lake back to Poplar Lake with, with no packs, with, with only a day pack, uh, we take it in one day. Well, you can look to Venus, you can look to Mars, I will set my sights by the northern star and in the deep dark blue come the northern lights. Oh, and in the deep dark blue come the northern lights. Welcome to episode 64 of the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. Hey, Joe Fredericks. Ah, Matthew Baxley. Hello to all you listeners out there. April. It is a confusing month in the Northwoods. Not bad. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I use the word confusing. (laughs) Because it's not bad, but it's not good. Mm-hmm. So time to sort out your thoughts. And get ready. It is, and I love. I do actually love it. I, you know, transition sometimes can be stressful, but it also can have its appeals if you can anticipate it and can be ready for it. It'd be a nice anticipated change. Right, and that's what we're doing 
And it's also a time for some reflection and storytelling. You know, it felt like the winter went by really quick. All the adventures, I think, is... I mean, we were talking the other day. Every weekend, we did something specific, either individually or with a group, or we each went our own separate way, whatever it was. But there was... Looking back at the calendar, I don't think one weekend, other than when we went to Canoe Copia to talk about the Boundary Waters. And I think that's what made it go by so fast. And was thinking about it, Joe, you know, I, there's something comforting about being out in the Boundary Waters, especially in the wintertime. Have you, I mean, that's, for me, there, it really has become that. Do you experience that? Absolutely. I mean, you know that I love the cold, so... I'll, it's not really much of a concern of mine, and I love the shorter days and the getting up early. A lot of it fits my personality. It works for you, and I, I think it comes pretty naturally for you. It doesn't come as naturally for me, but it's started to work for me. I've started to feel a level of comfort out there that I really appreciate at this point. Mm-hmm. And it's weird, though, because it's like this idea of feeling comfortable in a place that is actually pretty inhospitable. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Well, one time we were winter camping, I think in the ice house, we were spending the night in the insulated ice shack, you know, with it locked down on the ice. And we had a discussion about being comfortable, understanding that this isn't supposed to be luxuriously accommodating. In fact, it's uncomfortable. There's discomfort happening, and it's just settling into that. It's being okay with things as they are. I couldn't have put it better myself. That really is what it is. It's about just that. And today we have the honor of of hearing from somebody that is an absolutely incredible human being, Emily Ford. Mm-hmm. And we get into that in all sorts of ways. It's interesting. Let, let's just get into it. All right. I am Emily Ford. I am 29 years old. I live in Duluth, Minnesota with two dogs, one of which is an Alaskan Husky. Google it, because they probably don't look like what you think they look like. And our Catahoula, Zulu. Oh, our Husky's name is Diggins. Named after Jesse Diggins, of course. I think those are the most important things to me, at least right now. So I think that's what I mostly want people to know about me. Other Outside of being an avid winter enthusiast, uh, in for nine months out of the year, I'm a gardener. I get to play in the dirt for 12 hours a day, because the sun hangs out for, for literally forever. And I love it. I think I live a pretty cool life. Emily Ford became a recognized name after a solo traverse of Wisconsin's Ice Age Trail in the winter of 2021. In the winter of 2022, she traversed the entire Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness on skis, starting in Crane Lake and finishing at the Pigeon River, where she encountered open water from bank to bank. We here at the podcast wanted to learn more about Emily's process of determining the boundary waters for her next big solo adventure. My plan, my plan when people asked me what I was going to do next was to do nothing actually for a long time. Um, And then I realized like I just really missed it so much. Yeah, maybe we'll just like ski across the boundary waters. (laughs) I'm not a great skier. 
<laughs> I'll go on record saying that like I didn't start start skiing until like last year and I barely skied I maybe got out twice last year my relationship is actually not that deep with the Boundary Waters ironically enough for how much I talk about how much I love it in theory I love it a lot a lot I paddled there for the first and last time when I was like 17 or 18 right before I went off to college I'd never, I'd never paddled a lake before, let alone a canoe. You know, we, you know, had a pontoon and stuff like that. And uh, it was really my first time sleeping in a tent. Three day trip, three days out, five day trip total. I never went back. Actually, I never went back to the Boundary Waters. I heard a bunch of people talking about paddling it. My family, you know, they're not paddlers. We were machine-driven people, snow machines, four-wheelers. We didn't really paddle canoes, so I never went back. And then I worked at, or I took a trip with Wintergreen, um, Dog Sled Lodge. And that was my first experience of Boundary Waters in the wintertime. I'd winter camped a couple times before that, but it was a whole new game. But it was just like, it was different. I don't know what happens. There's a, form, there's a guide that works there right now. He and I talk about, like, as soon as we hit the boundary of the Boundary Waters, like something just leaves our body. Like stress and like anxiety just like stays on the other side of the boundary of the Boundary Waters. And again, I never, I never really went back to the Boundary Waters until I started working for Wintergreen uh, this winter. That's why, that's kind of what makes this trip funny that like, I'm, I don't have these long season after season memories of being in the Boundary Waters. But like there's a weird calling from it to be like, we need to spend more time together. The biggest thing is your own mental preparation when it comes to this like journey you're deciding to embark on, be that life or a solo expedition. It turns out that Emily's life has been a series of experiences contributing to her mental preparation for this new phase she finds herself in. It started pretty young for her, with her mom and connecting with the soil. Yeah, it's it's almost where it all began, you know, like really. If people are like, how did you, you know, like how did you start getting, in? it's the question people ask, like how did you start getting in the outdoors and like, where did your love for the outdoors come from? You know, and a, really a lot of that is that, you know, my, I didn't come from wealth. And so my mom and my family would grow food to can it and save it, you know, for, you know, later time when, you know, so we didn't have to buy vegetables all the time. My mom was a single parent, so, and she wasn't super wealthy, so the option was, you know, hire some like 12 year old to watch me or just let me come with her in, in the garden. And same for my grandparents, you know, when they were, you know, quote unquote babysitting me, I had to, you know, they, I had to do chores with them. They were the ones who were babysitting me, but they still had chores to do on, around the farm. So, you know, they encouraged that also. So I just, at a very young age, breathed very clean air in the midst of plants and flowers that were you know, much taller than I was. For Emily, growing up wasn't all soil and sunshine. There were other complicated elements that shaped her. Some would call it adversity, even if it's garden variety adversity. I, looking back on it, like I think I was bullied a lot. I think so. Because I, I've always been you know, what they like, used to call like, tomboy, right? You know, like, I've, I, I didn't come out until I was 20, like six, 25 or 26. Um, 
but I mean, I'm like one of those kids would be like, I th like, you know, you could just like tell quote unquote, you know, when I was so much younger and people bullied me back then. But because I was like, so not into what other people thought, I was just like lost in my own world of like my creative imagination and like, just like, I was so into my dogs. I was so into like playing in the dirt. I was like, just so into these things that like, I, I didn't know I was being bullied. And like, like now I'm like realizing what was happening, but like, I didn't know it was happening at the time. Cause I just, I like didn't care, you know? And so like the choices I made growing up were not always influenced by what other people thought about me, which is really cool. I don't, I don't know how that happened really. In my upgrade, my upbringing, has its own traumas in the midst of it, right? So I found my safe spaces, you know, in, in certain little niches, and it didn't involve other people. So, like, some of the decisions I made, you know, would be over holiday break, whatever holiday, right? Instead of, like, staying home and, like, hanging out with the very few friends I had, like, I would beg my mom to let me go to my grandparents' house. And, like, go spend time with them and go spend time in the woods. Adversity, like bullying, in many circumstances, can really mess a person up. But for some, it can turn into a type of resilience that strengthens the character into even more boldness. I like asked, I told my mom, I'm like, Mom, I'm getting up tomorrow, and I'm gonna hike the railroad tracks as far as I can. I was like, I couldn't even drive at this time. Um, I don't know if I had a permit. So I was like 12, 13, 14. And she, I don't even know if I had a cell phone. I Maybe I had a cell phone. Um, and she's like, okay. And like, she just let me, you know, like walk 12 miles. I woke up at like three and just started walking, you know, I'm not saying that's super safe, but here we are, you know? So I don't, I don't know. Like I got here in some like weird, <laughs> I don't know, form of like decision-making, you know? And then, yeah, then I decided, you know, I started getting into sports, um, and you know, chose the athletic route. Both my sister and I are naturally athletic and went to college for athletics, really got into my spirituality in college. And that started before I even went to college, but I like really dove in, like really shaped how I connected to people as well. And then I graduated with a geology degree and moved to Duluth on a whim. Planning and executing hardcore solo trips requires resilience. And resilience has actually been studied by researchers. Developing the resilience needed in the backcountry requires a sense of belonging and safety, which helps a person feel more capable to overcome difficult challenges. That belonging can develop in the care of a gardening mother and grandparents. It can involve feeling at home in the woods. And it can come in the form of community and spirituality. For sure, yeah. So I dove into Christianity like a madman. Um, I think I found it to feel equally as safe as a space. Looking back on it, ironically, it was a space where, like, I could, um, where there was, where like there was like the story of hope, right? Which is like the bright side of Christianity. You know what I mean? 
you know, I'm not saying it's not a it's not a fine religion. It's it's fine. It's just kind of how you use it as a tool, right? And so, you know, I could I could, you know, we were all like you're a teenager, preteen, and you're all just going through junk, and like we could all go through junk together, but like have like this like hope at the end of the tunnel, right? And um, so the community too. The community aspect, yeah. It's where I found other weird people, you know, in in a safe in a safe space, right? And and I knew that like drugs and alcohol weren't gonna be my thing to find my sanity in. Um, my you know drugs and alcohol you know, like tore my dad's life apart, and I watched that happen. And I chose I was like I'm not letting that happen. So I like went to the way other side and like you know did all that. But what that taught me was just like how to love on people really well and like how to listen and ask good questions and just like try to hear what people need when they're saying things, you know? And when I went into college, um, I continued that. You know, college is like that age where you're kind of like a preteen all over again and you're like, oh my God, like <laughs> all these people, what am I doing with my life, you know? And like, you just want someone to listen to you for like two seconds and like actually listen to you, you know? And like, just, not ridicule you and point, you know, just like maybe help you like point you in like some seminal direction, you know. And you know, there weren't always, it wasn't always bright, shiny and full of love and joy and everything like that. Um, but those were like the best nuggets of it, you know. Grew up, got a little older and unfortunately got to see some of the dark parts of it. And so got to see some of the dark parts that I partook in, you know, and one of the reasons why I stepped away from it and have fallen in love even more with like the earth and nature and kind of seen, you know, just like thinking of like what Jesus, you know, to me was just like as an overall creator, right? I, I fell into that more so because within the church system, their acceptance level is not as high as they, as they say it is, when they say all are welcome. So when I came out when I was, you know, in my mid-twenties, I got cut off from a bunch of things that the church I was going to. And I was like, well, I guess like this is it, you know. And so it really made me reevaluate my relationship with like who I thought God was and who I thought Jesus was. And like just I love that because I know all these things about Jesus that like are like the really cool nuggets of like how he loved on people, right? Or how he's written about, you know, being loved or loving on people. But then also I get to hear about all these other cultures that like are so meaningful to other people. I just like to listen you know, without this like Christian judgment to be like, all right, now's my time to convert you to Christianity. Like, here's my pamphlet, you know what I mean? Yeah, I can just listen and like learn. And I love that so much. I go in for the record, it's taken me a long time to get to this point. There's lots of people who are angry at religions that they grew up with, or, you know, from, you know, or just even like political uh, views that they grew up with, you know, like, you know, we're all born into some sort of system, family system, and yeah. you, know, you grow up and you, you know, learn different ways. Right. And hopefully there's like some sort of healing in that. For many of us, the wilderness is a place we go to to experience a sense of belonging. It's a place we feel at ease, listen to the world around us, and settle into our surroundings but it can also dish out the most intense forms of adversity through wild weather and rugged terrain. 
the resilience required to feel a sense of belonging in the same space where adversity occurs is probably the most significant of its kind and is the most rewarding. The same goes for encountering adversity in our community spaces. But sometimes things occur in our community that bring up unexpected challenges that live in our internal wilderness. There was a time um, when, like in newspapers, my name wouldn't really be in the headline. It would be like in a weird, well, it, it would be like the first sentence of the story, but the headline would be like, first black woman, first like black person of color, queer, blah, blah, blah. Like I learned that's what sells media, buzzwords. It was really tough for a while to be like, I don't want to do any more interviews. I don't want to do any more podcasts. I don't want to do any of this stuff. Because I'm a, an overthinker, but such a deep thinker, the way that I think about myself, I think is so complex. And the way I think about others too, right? Like my literal passion is sitting down and having 10 hour long conversations with people, right? To get to know every like little nitty gritty detail. So when a newspaper is like, bam, bam, bam person, <laughs> you know, did this. I'm like, uh. I didn't really understand why that bugged me, but it just, it, it, it did. To be, to like finally reconcile my heart of being a black person in the United States, it like even within ourselves, for some people, for myself, I'll say, people of color, like we have our own like racial injustices in our own heart towards ourselves. And it's so, it's so crazy. Um, you know, like I grew up with a white mom, you know, and w with what knowledge she had in the 90s, she did a pretty damn good job to raise my sister and I the best she could. Was it perfect? Absolutely not. And so now, you know, my sister and I, you know, we have to do the extra work on the, this end now, but that's fine. As adults. As it is for all of us as adults. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And to see over and over again headlines like black woman, black woman, black woman, I'm like, oh, God, okay. And then there's like this... I was talking to somebody on the phone uh, the other day, and I was telling her about this. She, she's a Latina, and I'm like, you know, when you, she wants to do a paddling trip, and I'm like, when you do this trip, like, get ready for your only identifier to be Latina, and like, that's all people know you as. And she's like, she's like, yeah, I'm proud of being Latina. I'm like, oh, man, I wish I felt that all the time. Like, yeah, I'm proud to be black, you know? Like, and just seeing that over in the headlines, just like pounding in my brain of like, it's okay to be proud of all of my ancestors that come before me who like know the earth, who worked the earth, who pounded the earth, who came from the earth and lived with the earth, like I should be proud of that. I didn't realize how not proud of it I was until I saw it in like 50 newspapers over and over again, <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm just like, all right, we have some like really tough internalized racism here. It came as a mirror in podcasts, media online, media in papers, in, um, on news, on the TV. It was coming at me from all angles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this is funny because I don't think I've ever debriefed this with anybody. So you're the first to like really kind of get the unpacked version of it. And now I like really release that because I understand now if some person, anybody, is like, has a black person ever done this before? It will be seen in the headline. Black, person of color, queer. And it'll be A, easily researchable and easily under understood by people who are just like searching. If they want to try it on their own, if they want to, 
you know, reach out and ask questions of, you know, this, this, and this. There's no complicated headlines. It's quite clear that there's a deep correlation between Emily's ability to tackle challenges in the wilderness outdoors and the wilderness within herself. There isn't a whole lot of difference between the two because both require the resilience to withstand discomfort. It's not comfortable to spend weeks on end in sub-zero temperatures, and it's certainly not going to be comfortable confronting your own challenges with self-worth. Worthiness is such a funny thing, right? And self-worth is like mining for gold in the desert sometimes. Sometimes it feels impossible to find any. And you don't realize that you feel that way about yourself again until you're, you're really faced with yourself. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's the beauty in the midst of like the, I don't want to deal with this, <laughs> you know? Because yeah. yeah. isn't the thing with shame, right? And, and like self-healing, I think this is, as being a solo hiker, this is what I think. So this is not law. I always like to say I'm not a doctor nor a psychologist, although I love both of them. Um, solo hiking, you, you meet yourself and hero, enemy, everybody in between. It's really hard to put all those things into practice until you bump into somebody else again, though. And shame healing, I think it happened by yourself, but the real work is done when you bump into somebody else because usually that shame will rear its ugly head only when, again, you're bumping into somebody. Sometimes, I mean, I have shame, shame just comes all <laughs> when you're alone and when you're with somebody else and whatever. But a lot of the healing work really happens when you bump into somebody else again. The question lingers, how does that actually play out for Emily when on her long solo trips? What does it feel like to be alone for so long with the company of a dog, the trees, and water? What about that keeps calling her back? I finally get to pay attention to myself, right? Because there are these simple needs that you have to have when you're out there. In the winter especially, um, if I just let myself go to the wayside, I'll freeze very fast <laughs> and I'll become thirsty very quickly. So I have to pay attention to myself. Um, out here in like the real world, I just stay busy. My regular working life is very fast, very fast paced. Minus, this is very connected though. Minus when I'm swimming in Lake Superior. That stupid lake. <laughs> I've, I've tried to think about moving away from here many, many times. But to get a similar sense of what I feel when I'm out and what I expect to feel when I'm out in the Boundary Waters, I can get snippets of that when laying on the bottom of Lake Superior in the summertime. Like grabbing a rock that's heavy enough to like keep me down and just sit there and just listen. You know, so there's this breathing aspect to it too. But you have to be intentional about what you're doing, right? You're not gonna sit at the bottom of Lake Superior and not pay attention to yourself because you'll die. You'll run out of air eventually, you know? And, but you wanna be attuned to what else is happening in the water, all right? And it's this crazy, beautiful thing in this like cold, deep, dark, clear 
beautiful water. You know, and those, there's moments like that that I just like crave. But I think that's because I have to pause, you know. And there's just not a lot of pausing, you know. I'm gardening. I go to another gardening thing. I go to another gardening thing. Come home, my family, run my dog in the morning, pay attention to my other dog. You know, there's all this other stuff to do. Pay attention to people. And I'll get to myself later. <laughs> You know, I, I think I think that a lot of us, especially as solo hikers, are extremely selfish people. You know, even our yeah, our, our, our desires are often self-motivated. <laughs> sure. I don't think it's I don't think it's bad though. I, I often tell people that I want you to think about yourself often first because it helps you think about other people better because when we think about the boundary waters right and why do we want to keep it present if we're honest with ourselves we kind of want to keep it present for us i'd said that i said that i want to keep the boundary waters safe and protected and alive for for me i said that and i think a lot of people want that i can also translate that to what i think the ecological system of that place needs also if i put myself selfishly in their proverbial shoes of what their livelihood looks like out there as well. I've been thinking about this a lot recently because I've, I've been writing down my whys of why I'm going on this trip. I have to do that or else I kind of lose my bearings. And I just keep coming back to this phrase, it's for you, it's for me, it's for us. And the us sometimes in my mind is us as, us as like human collective, but like a lot of times I wish I could like Remanifest that phrase for like it's for you it's for me it's for her and her being like just the whole earth you know if I could put a non-gender I could say them but it kind of gets lost in translation I think if people aren't aware of what them can mean but um I I, I just feel like this this trip is like in the boundary that's kind of like the boundary waters it's just it, it is it's for me it's for you it's for us <laughs> You know, and us can you know, include, you know, those gnarly porcupines that love to just chew on bark all day long. Also a loud creature, which nobody knows about, um, you know, to the soil. The soil is us as well, you know, to the water. It's, <laughs> it's, like, the, it's like the mantra, yeah. It's like the mantra of, it's, it's the why, you know. This presence Emily talks about, it defines so much of her ability to deal with adversity. It makes her resilient through challenging experiences. Being present in the wilderness allows her to tune into the nuanced sights, sounds, and changes in the outside world. It also allows her to tune in and tend to her own needs in any given moment. And in the front country, it allows her to tune into her impact on others, and even more so to her own process of growing as a human. This combination of attention and presence reaps a benefit to everyone and everything. And that's a cool element about Emily's work in life. She wants everyone to benefit. This year, I decided to tie in the No Boundaries program from the Friends of the Boundary Waters. 
And what they do is they get like, they go into classrooms, teach kids about the Boundary Waters, and then they take them out of the classroom and bring them to the Boundary Waters. And, and kids who wouldn't necessarily even have the option to get outside, period, in green spaces, you know? I like think about it, like, I think about two things. One, what if I had that opportunity when I was younger, right? Like somebody came to my school and was like, we wanna take you out paddling. That trajectory would have been wild, I'm sure. Probably would have used all my lawn mowing money to buy a canoe instantaneously. Or B, like what if I hadn't met Anna and her family and nobody showed me the Boundary Waters? Like what would the trajectory be like then? I, wouldn't, I probably wouldn't even really know what the Boundary Waters was, to be honest. May not be in Duluth. Yeah, I may not have even moved up here. I, yeah. I mean, and so many things, right? I could have, yeah, I probably would have moved, yeah, I would have done like the millennial thing and moved out to like the Pacific Northwest or something, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I think about these two different sides of the same coin, you know? Mm -hmm. And like to offer that to other kids, and like being supportive of that, if people feel so compelled to like, chip in funds like that's where all that's going to and I'll just be shifting over for their trips and like getting gear for kids to go on these trips and to get them up here it's the part of the us part of the trip yeah yeah the for you for me for us so I wanted there's there's right so it's notoriety thing I feel like you well you don't have to I feel like I have a responsibility I could have said no to this responsibility. I don't feel like it's an obligation. I feel it's a responsibility that I've accepted that enough people are looking at what I'm doing to make at least you know, a 0.5 degree difference somewhere in the world. And that 0.5 degree difference could change something for someone way down the line. Am I doing it? I have no idea. Who's to say? Who knows who's following this? But if I don't do anything, then nothing's gonna happen. beautiful story, Matthew. And even though Emily wanted to get to Lake Superior, it's an incredible journey. I mean, to make it to the Fowls and that whole stretch, just job well done, Emily Ford. Agreed. It is such a mind-blowing accomplishment that I, I personally can't even really wrap my around it. Mm -hmm. It's a whole other, we were talking at the start about discomfort and the discomfort. That's a whole other level. I mean, ours are weak and we're kind of weekend warrior for the most part, but we get out there and do some four day trips and so forth. But this is a, a whole other level. Well, I, you know, I've shared with Emily multiple times that what she did I mean, it's obvious that it inspires a lot of people, and it has really inspired me to actually go a little further and a little harder. Mm. You know, like there was a time when I didn't think I would enjoy being out for three or four days, mm -hmm. and now I do. And so maybe it's the same way for a week or two weeks. You know, it's not comfortable right away, but it will never will be if you don't get out and get into those places that push your limits. I crave a week-long winter trip. 
Can we make this happen? Uh, okay, it's official. Everybody heard it. Listen up. 2023 winter mm-hmm. week-long trip. Yes. Yes. Let's get this canoe season over with. Hear ye, hear ye. <laughs> a winter trip of a significant duration will be accomplished henceforth in one year's time. I'll see you there. (laughs) (laughs) I just sing when I paddle Feeling not thinking if the strokes are true We're gonna get through to the other side out in the night, the waves beat the shore. You can hear them pounding, you can hear them roar. Oh, roll me, rock me in my dreams. You can roll me, rock me in my dreams. So I like to sing, I love to dance. I play the fool if I got the chance. All around the campfire light. All around. Campfire light all round, all round, all round the campfire light. 